Welcome to the Yellow Balloons podcast, a collection of teachings to help you navigate the transformational possibilities of a God-centered perspective. We pray these insights from Scripture will inspire and encourage you. In this episode, we begin to journey through the course of human history, from the Old Testament origins of our faith to our modern world and its complexities. Using the story of Nebuchadnezzar's dream as a backdrop and a sort of metaphor, we explore how our perception shapes not just individual human behavior, but collective belief and understanding. Nebuchadnezzar's statue, as presented in Daniel, reaches into the future, from Rome to the modern day. Okay, well today we're going to look at the end of the world as we know it. We looked at the new earth last week. And we saw that uh, uh, heaven is a way station, essentially, for us. We, we do go to heaven uh, when we die. But uh, the ultimate sort of conclusion of the part of the story as it's given to us in the Scripture is when heaven comes to earth. And there's a new heaven and a new earth. And God dwells with men. That's kind of this key phrase in Revelation that says that you know it's it's done it's completed the world has been made new the heavens are made new and now we've got a new jerusalem and a new earth and there's no more pain but there's still excitement and there's kings and nations going in and out of the city and it's not the eternal alzheimer's clinic that uh, we got inherited kind of from the greek uh, idea it's this vibrant earth without all the bad stuff and so that's a wonderful, hopeful, optimistic uh, um, future that we can look forward to. But there is this kind of human history as we know it. And the age we're in now will conclude. So we're going to look at the conclusion of this age today. Um, actually, one of our uh, combatants here uh, said uh, she would really like to hear a timeline. And of course, I started off with... Um, that when you understand prophecy, uh, trying to understand timing is very difficult. Uh, uh, I, I mentioned the verse where Jesus was reading in the temple and he read the prophecy of Isaiah and then he rolled the scroll up and said, this is happening today. And he stopped in the middle of a sentence and the back half of the sentence was his second advent. So right in one sentence you had first advent, second advent. So, uh, I certainly don't want to try to parse out a system that says, oh, here's what's going to happen because I just don't know. However, there's some things that we really know, at least, at least I believe that are highly knowable. So, we can go through that. Let's start with Daniel chapter 2. And Daniel chapter 2 has in it, I, I'm going to present to you, Daniel chapter 2 has all of human history prior to the new earth clearly laid out. And let's start with, um, well, let me give you his background here. Um, Daniel is um, part of the uh, deportation, the deportation. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came in, sieged Jerusalem, um, subjugated Jerusalem, subjugated uh, Israel, and deported most of the people that were left to Babylon. Some, some remained. Uh, 
and there was a, multiple waves of people come out. One of the waves, they took the princes and the nobility and all the kind of great... Um, it was a recruiting trip. It was kind of a recruiting trip. They went and they took all the best guys, put them in Babylonian University, and uh, made them eunuchs. That's who ran all the bureaucracy in the ancient Near East were the eunuchs. And so Daniel was made a eunuch. Uh, he and his three friends went through Babylonian U. They graduated at the top of their class. But they, they did not, they, even though they were ten times better than the next guys, they didn't buy it. They, they didn't leave their roots, of their Hebrew roots. So he's now in this Magi class these, that is uh, uh, serving the king. So uh, the king has a dream, and he puts out to the Magi and says, uh, I had a dream, I need to know what it is. And so the Magi say, reasonably, we'll tell us the dream, and we'll tell you the interpretation. And he said, I want you to tell me the dream. And they said, nobody can do that. And they said, then I'm going to kill you all. I don't need, if you, if you, I'm just tired of being manipulated, you're all di- dead. So Daniel goes and says, uh, give me a little time, and, and I'll ask God to give me the dream. And he does. So let's start in uh, verse, uh, let's say, uh, 27, 227. Daniel answered the, in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. But there's a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he's made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living. But for our sakes, who made known the interpretation of the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. And uh, the the uh, Daniel and his friends and all the other magi were... Uh, saved from execution because of Daniel's uh, interpretation here. So here's the dream. You, O king, were watching. And behold, a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron, partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream. Now we'll tell you the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are a king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven, he's given them into your hand. And he's made you ruler over all of them. You're his head of gold. But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours. And then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. 
Whereas you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. Yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong, partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break and pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. This dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. Now, this is what's going on. We got all human history uh, set out with this this statue, and Daniel here is is during the time of uh, Babylon, and this is uh, Babylon deport, deported uh, Judah in 586 BC. Uh, they return. Remember, remember how long they were there before they returned back to the land. 70 years. So they're there 70 years and return back to the land. Anybody remember why 70? That's right. That's the number of uh, 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 not jubilee years. What's the Sabbath rest? What is it? Sabbatical years that they didn't take and he said, I'm taking them. Okay. So they're there 70 years and uh, Daniel stays. He doesn't go back. Uh, Ezra takes a group back, come in. And uh, Nehemiah takes, goes back and rebuilds the wall. So you're familiar with those things. So this is the era we're in. Uh, two other prophets that are during this same time period that are prominent, who are they? Jeremiah is, is, is one of them. Uh, no, Isaiah's a little prior. He's during the time of Hezekiah. Ezekiel's the other one. And you can kind of think of this as... Uh, uh, Daniel's a guy in the government. Jeremiah is the guy that's kind of the uh, persecutor of the of the the kings in, in Judah, and Ezekiel's kind of out in the countryside in Babylon. They're all kind of contemporaries. So during this time period where Daniel is in Babylon, this the action we actually go from the head of gold, which is Babylon, to the next empire. Anybody remember the name of the next empire? Medo-Persian, yeah. So the Medo-Persian Empire, and the the event that we're most familiar with that marked the advent of shifting from Babylonian to Medo-Persian Empire that involves Daniel's what? Handwriting on the wall, that's right. Anybody here ever see the handwriting on the wall? So uh, if y'all don't mind scooting in a little bit and make a... Oh, so you, you found a, found some space. There you go. You got a spot? Um, so we, we go from Babylonian to Medo-Persian, and Daniel is still there for both of these. And, and Daniel said that which, this Medo-Persian king, kingdom is inferior, which is interesting. How can an inferior kingdom defeat a superior kingdom? And so that's been debated. You know, what does that mean? Uh, the best explanation I've heard is kind of embedded in the text, and that said that basically Nebuchadnezzar owns everything. 
He's in total and complete control of all. And that's called a great, greater kingdom. Now, in our world, if we have somebody that totally is in, in control of all, will we think that's greater or worse? Why would we think it's worse? Because okay, well, we, we want it to be us. Well, yeah, I didn't say it couldn't be you. Uh, well, we know absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? So, uh, But if you look at it, the beginning of this is an absolute total person in control, and the end of it is an absolute person in total control, which is Christ, Jesus. Yeah, and that's a good thing because he's a good king. But right before him, we're going to see the man of sin, which is also a guy that gets total control, and it's not pretty. And that's going to be one of the main things we talk about today. The beast, he's called. Okay, But this is human history. So we got the, we got the statue, and he's got the head of gold, and then he's got this um, silver breastplate or uh, chest. And the next one, the, the Medo-Persians are defeated by Alexander the Great, Alexander the Great is what nationality? Uh huh. He's a Greek. He's actually Macedonian, but he he uh, adopts the Greek culture and becomes the head of the Greek state. And this is all you can read. Uh, you can read future or uh, additional prophecies in Daniel. And he actually goes into some degree of de- detail here. Alexander is called this furious goat that goes out and just everything he sees, he just knocks it over because he's just uh, conquering the whole world. But when Alexander's a very young man, he dies, and he divvies up the kingdom to his four generals, and all this is set out in Daniel. Now remember, Daniel's back here, you know, in the 600 B.C. time frame, and even though he is, uh, lives into the Medo-Persian, he's actually telling this dream to who? Nebuchadnezzar, who's Babylonian, right? You king or the king of kings? And interestingly, one of the dooms that he pronounces on uh, his grandson that at the handwriting on the wall is, you saw what happened to your grandfather, how God humbled him, and he submitted his knee to God, and you didn't pay attention. So now this doom's coming upon you. But he's telling him this, and we've got thousands of years of history in front of us, and this is all being pronounced very, very uh, specifically. Uh, now, what does that tell us about human history? What's that tell, what does that tell us about human history? We can, we can learn from it. What else? Somebody's not surprised. Somebody's not surprised by this. Yeah, God's kind of got all this under control, right? We we can have this is really cool. We can have a lot of confidence that it's not left to chance what's going to happen, uh, which I find immense immense comfort in. So Alexander the Great divvies his uh, kingdom to his four generals. So the four generals then start four kingdoms. One is a Greek kingdom. One is a Macedonian kingdom. That's uh, you know the home hometown kingdom, if you will. One is a Persian kingdom, and one is an Egyptian kingdom. And this is all kind of in the 300 B.C.-ish time frame, Alexander. And all this is being told, you know, hundreds of years prior. So uh, he divvies this up, and the Persian kingdom ends up with a name. Anybody remember the name of the Persian kingdom? Seleucid. This is the Seleucids. 
I'm, I'm sure I'm misspelling this. And the Egyptian kingdom ends up with a name. Yeah, the, the Ptolemies. Ptolemies. Ptolemaic kingdom. And these Greek and Macedonian, we never hear anything about because they get just absorbed by Rome almost right off the bat. They just kind of, uh, we're with you. We don't want to fight. So now you kind of have Rome and, and these other two kingdoms uh, co- coexisting. And somebody's got to win out, right? One of the two has to win out. And there's a huge battle that kind of determ- determines which of the two wins out. And it's mainly between the Egyptian kingdom and the Roman kingdom. And anybody remember kind of who the main players in that are? The Ptolemaic, and again, these are Greeks. Mark Antony, yeah, Mark Antony, which side is he on? He's a Roman. Which side is he on, the Egyptian or the Roman? He's on the Egyptian side. Why? Because of Cleopatra. Cleopatra is the Ptolemaic uh, successor to the throne. She's the Egyptian queen. Because again, these are Greeks, right? The Greeks took over and they become the ruling class for all these other people that are not necessarily Greek. So uh, he, Mark Antony uh, sides with Cleopatra and they have this big battle and the Egyptians lose and that's what kind of flips everything to Rome. And so the next kingdom is Rome. And Rome is described very interestingly. What are some of the characteristics of Rome? And then after that is this kingdom of God. The mountain made without hands. That's... Or the stone made without hands. So this Roman kingdom is the next one. It's, it's described very interestingly. What are some of the things that are described about Rome? You remember? Yeah, huh? Yeah, iron and clay. Iron, clay. First it was iron. And then it goes iron and clay. Okay, and what part of the body is it? Legs and feet. Okay, legs and feet. Legs has how many? Two. Two. Very good. <laughs> toes? Ten. Okay, so we've got two legs and ten toes. And what keeps happening to these legs and toes? They keep getting broken, right? And, and, and the comment is they won't stick together very good. But what? The iron is very hard. And it kind of goes around crushing things. So it keeps falling apart and crushing things. So which era are we in? Are we in the Babylonian era? Well, we're not. Are we in the Medo-Persian era? No. Are we in the Alexander the Great Greek era? No, not, not, not directly. Although all these eras have had immense influence on us. The Greek the most. Why, why does the Greek still have huge influence on us? But, yeah, the Romans embrace the Greek philosophical way of thought. Uh, are we in the kingdom of God era? No. no. So what are we? We're Roman. Now this really hit home to me when I got to go to Pompeii. Pompeii is a city in, uh, in Italy and it was covered up by Mount Vesuvius. Mount Vesuvius erupted and covered up Pompeii and so they, when they dug it up it's just kind of like it was the day it was, it was buried. And uh, I got to go to Pompeii, and we were, we were visiting the neighborhoods. Basically, you just get to walk through this town just like it was in... Uh, what, what, when was Vesuvius? Anybody remember 100 A.D. or something like that? 
79 AD, okay? And I was walking through these houses, and I go in, there'd be mosaic on the front porch, and you walk in, and there's like a foyer, and you go in, and there's a little patio in the middle, and, and you maybe see the, uh, you know, the wall covering or the painting on the wall wallpaper, and you see the uh, statues. And I said, nice house. I like it here. And I realized, I'm Roman. This is very comfortable for me. I could have lived in Pompeii in 79 AD and I would have bought one of those houses. I really like it. Water pipes piped in. Running water. Uh, I don't think they had flushing toilets, but they had, but they had running sewage. I mean, it was, a, all, for all practical purposes, an American city without internal combustion and, and electronics. Because that's just kind of the way Romans do things. Um, you can you can study kind of the way Romans went about stuff, and Americans are so Roman; it's really amazing. You can go start looking at our coinage and stuff like that. You know, have you noticed that the the eagle has this little uh, bundle of uh, of uh, rods on, under his feet? Well, that's a Roman symbol. There, Statue, yeah, there's all kinds. It's just basically, we, we still incorporate Roman stuff. We go build our buildings in Washington, D.C., and they all look like Greek and Roman temples. We, we just kind of do Roman things. Um, and, and this iron and clay is interesting uh, because Rome never got defeated. We think of Rome and empire as this thing long ago and not something that's still going on today. But what I'm telling you is Daniel 2 would tell us and I believe history supports, through observation, Rome's still going on today. The Roman Empire was never conquered. What did it do? It just fell apart. Yeah, it just clayed apart, right? So you had this immense empire, and it just got super far-flung. And basically what happened was the taxation got so heavy that the people on the outer borders said, mm, you know... All, all the benefits we get from Rome are not worth the cost. We'll just keep the money here. And it just broke into pieces. That's all. Um, and it broke into two parts. So you have the um, Western and Eastern Roman Empire that divide. And does anybody remember kind of when the time the Eastern and Roman divide? Eastern and Western divide? So like 500 A.D., something like that? Anybody know exactly? So 500-ish A.D., the East and West divide, and now we have two empires. This actually started in uh, Constantine's era, which is in like 350 A.D., and Constantine established a new camp capital in Byzantium, which we know, now know as Istanbul, and uh, we were in Rome with a guide, and this was always curious to me. Just think about it if uh, the president popped up and says, we're going to start a new capital in uh, Omaha. W- yeah, would you think that was odd? What, what do we need another capital for? What, why, why would you do that? So we asked our guide in Rome, why did they need a new capital? And she just turned as straight as she could be and said, uh, because the Romans wouldn't worship the emperor anymore. He needed to go somewhere where they would worship the emperor. You see, Christianity had become about 10% of the population, and when they persecuted them, that made them happy because then they knew they were going straight into the uh, ex- approval and acceptance of God, 
And the Roman and Constantine said, "This isn't going to work for me. I got to go somewhere where I can exert my influence properly." So he started this Eastern Empire. Now, whether she's right or not, I don't know. I just found it very interesting that that was her, uh, this tour guide's opinion. Uh, but anyway, whatever it is, he did start one in 350 A.D. And somewhere around 500, the, the empires actually split um, and became two separate enterprises. The Western one then just broke into pieces. It became kind of uh, Gaul and Germany. You know, all, and it was just few, these little pieces, little kings, petty tyrants. Um, this is when the, the knight era starts. Why, why do we have knights and castles and stuff during this era? Protection. Well, protection from what? Yeah, from each other, basically, and from the Vikings. The Vikings had this habit of coming down and raiding people. And so it was just kind of a lawless era. This teaching will continue in the following episode. Thanks for listening to the Yellow Balloons podcast. If you want more information on adopting a God-centered perspective, visit our website at yellowballoons.net. And if you have any questions related to what you just heard, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at contact at yellowballoons.net. Thanks for listening. Thank you.